0: Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series, brought to you by the New York's Finest Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion.
1: All right, 265 police live series, baby. Listen, I'm editing this back in this part. I forgot to bring this up. We were talking about so many different things. Um, and we kind of just our conversations are just organic, so they flow. But this is something that has to get brought up. So um, I don't remember who sent it to me, but someone said, look at this, this, this uh showmethemoney.org, and you could see who the unions are donating to. So I look up the PBA. And I want to get the exact numbers here. So, so basically, the PBA till this point has not endorsed the governor or candidate. Dim. While I look this up, could you just answer me from your opinion? And I, and I don't think that you're as political as I am, like involved in in like the the day to day of politics and what these candidates are saying. But based upon your information. Is there a candidate that leans more towards supporting law enforcement, particularly the men and the women in the NYPD between Holchell and Lee Zeldin?
0: Exactly. I mean, you nailed it. I'm definitely not uh, as into the politics as you are. I I follow it, but not as deep. I'm I'm more into uh, the intricacies about leadership, that kind of stuff. But without a doubt, obviously Lee Zeldin, with his background and military career, he's definitely leading towards more towards law enforcement. And even the stuff that he says on his debate and stuff that holds says, I mean, you clearly can see it. And here's the irony of it and the hypocrisy of this. Please, go ahead.
1: So, hold on. Give me one second. So, the irony of this is that Patrick Lynch, who is – the president of the Police Benevolent Association, which is the largest police union in the country, uh, Governor Kathy Hochul has been very, very anti-police, very <laughs> supportive of criminals, very supportive of freeing them all very supportive of raise the age of clean slate, raise the age we raise the age on violent perpetrators so that they're not considered adults, right? So they have to get less punishment, right? Uh, clean slate is after X amount of time, regardless of your crime, it's wiped free from your record, right? Uh, again, pro-criminal, 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 uh, not keeping you in jail, less things. Um, she advocated, openly advocated, even at the debate, Patted herself on the back for the way they handled the, p- the pandemic, which was keeping, um, which was keeping old people locked up in nursing home. Patted herself up in the back, not giving them access to healthcare. So many died. Yes, they were old and elderly, and yes, a respiratory infection could have killed many of them anyway. But we basically murdered them because we didn't even give them the treatment. They said the nursing home said they were not equipped. When a person's in distress, they call an ambulance and send them to the hospital. Governor Cuomo, uh, Kathy Cuomo worked for him at the time. She was covering up; she was busy covering up his sex scandals and helping him out with his hospital plan. So they helped. So what they said to the they said to the nursing home is, "We don't care. Deal with it." So basically, they killed all the old people. Openly advocated and supported the mandates, and let's just put that into perspective, right? New York State Police. No mandates. New York State Police is still working. Uh, Port Authority Police, state state agency, still working. Um, her state troopers, her state troopers, her bodyguards. No mandates. Still working. Right. She only supported yeah. mandates for New York City workers. Very questionable to me. Um, uh, where she lives, teachers don't need a mandate. Where we live, teachers need a mandate. Openly supported that. Patted herself on the back for keeping kids masks. All the way up until this summer. All the way up until this summer, patted herself on the back for doing that. And Pat Lynch still hasn't made an endorsement um, on on the governor. Very questionable. So somebody sends me this. I'm not going to blow up their name. Who it is? Um, so I made this post. I made this post. I, I sent a snapshot of. I sent an. I sent a snapshot of. Of. What, the, what what it shows? It shows the PBA from the city of New York, so not the state, like as people tried to claim that I was spreading false information, in total have made 17 contributions to Kathy Hochul. That's over the course of her entire political career. So – and I don't believe at any point she should have received a donation from a police union because she's not pro-police. So – All 17 are questionable to me, but they were in times when the conversation was more normal and more towards the middle, when the left didn't openly advocate for abolishing the police department and throwing you in jail just for wearing a uniform. So, maybe you could make an argument, oh, we were working on the contract, because I keep hearing this shit, too, is why they endorsed the wrong contract. They're working on the contract. You guys haven't gotten a contract in almost six years now. This dude couldn't negotiate a car lease he's not getting you a contract he gave away he gave away the ship on everything sold out the unborn now they're selling out the retirees and he now he's selling out the current workers so what this shows is that they gave he gave 17 contributions totaling totaling uh hundred and thirty three thousand 000 um and so i want to just get hold on i just want to get one the actual I want to give you the actual amount so you have it. So for 2022, the new the, the the Police Benevolent Association of New York City. Now, mind you, cops don't get a chance to vote on this. They didn't get to weigh in their opinion. If they did, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. So they give Governor Kathy Holchell. I believe it comes out to $53,000, but I just want to I just want to. I just want to confirm that before I give bad information. So yes, it's one hundred and thirty-three thousand over seven hundred and thirty-three dollars over seventeen contributions, and for twenty twenty-two, they give Governor Kathy Hochul fifty-one thousand six hundred and thirty-three dollars. That's over four donations. So to put that in perspective, um, Pfizer, Pfizer, who made. Millions and millions of dollars from her supporting these mandates gave her five thousand. Pfizer gave her $5,000. The Police Benevolent Association, the largest police commun- union in the country, gave her $51,000 in 2022. That If that is not the betrayal, I put a post out there. Anybody that wants to look at it, it's a post of Jesus and the apostles sitting at the table and Judas sneaking out the door. Um, I put uh, Pat judas lynch on there i put all nyp all nypd pba members and you know people are yelling at me about that you don't use god's picture listen i'll tell you right now i'll tell you right now i'm not i'm not sorry for what i did I'll do it again. That's exactly what he is. He's Judas. He's sneaky. He thought by not making the endorsement it wouldn't come out. He supported. That is an endorsement. He took union funds. He took membership from the members of the New York City Police Department and he sent it to someone who's working directly against the men and women in the police department. That is a disgrace, Pat. Yes, you need to step down, my friend. I don't know. I and from everything that I know about your career cuz I did work couple of nights in the car, we're watching someone, we're bored. We ran your arrest record. Eric Adams has more arrests than you, guy. Eric Adams has more arrests than you. I believe you had seven. Uh, you were a police officer for two years, two to three years, I believe, before you became a trustee. Um, you've had a very lucrative job. You've made a ton of money off of this city. You are, my friend, our politician um i am no longer a supporter of you that is abysmal you should come out on the record today and speak to about about exactly why you gave that exactly why because again it's six years without a contract and and you just give you give her the money you're you're in direct you are it is not representative of the membership of your of your organization dim do you have anything to add on that
0: dude i i don't know bro that might be the best piece you've ever given that was outstanding. It sounded like it was completely genuine from the heart, just hearing everything he's saying and seeing that picture the other day. I'm proud of you for putting the picture up. because It's the truth. It's disgusting that they even gave her a dollar. Here's someone that is so anti-police. She's driving the rhetoric. She's driving the sediment. Had zero help from her in these riots. I mean, I, I just spoke to a lieutenant. I don't want to give his name. Who's facing a civilian complaint from the riot, and they're asking for 10-day suspension for a guy that is – I mean, so docile, just a nice gentleman. And it was a total riot. And even as somebody complained, they keep calling a protest. And there's pitches. And we were talking about how, how people were wearing goggles because the people that came, there knew that they were throwing all kinds of crazy items like urine. And these riders that they call protests are wearing goggles. You need goggles. How could you reimburse her and provide her with any funds? This is disgusting. 51000 that's more than a, a brand new police officer makes an entire year. This is an abomination. Wow. Keep going. I got you back, brother. Till the end. Pat Lynch, step down. Do it now.
1: All right. So I'm going to actually open this, this podcast up with this. I'm going to edit this in. So this is an edit. And right yeah. after, right after... You know, Dim's going to come on, give the real intro. We forgot to bring this up. I don't know how I forgot it because I literally had to go to the doctor yesterday over my blood pressure. <laughs> like that's how I was disgusted. with I was disgust, absolutely disgusted. And for all you who are sending me nasty messages, who are sending me all this thing that I'm being disrespectful, you're being disrespectful. You know, and I'll say it again. God puts the cowards before he puts the murderers and rapists. You're being a coward by being by being silent about this. He works for you. He's your union president. He works for you. You don't work for him. He doesn't dictate where your funds go. These politicians work for us. They don't dictate what we put in our body, what our children do, what anything. We do. We're the people. We need to restore the conversation. Sorry about that rant. Damn, thank
0: you. Yeah. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, there's just so much to talk about right now. Uh, but I tell you what, we have to pick one topic right now. Let's talk about how the department, the New York City Police Department, is hemorrhaging. And I watched a news article the other day with a newscaster. It was, it was pretty brief. John, I don't know if you saw it. It was probably about 30 to 45 seconds. And, of course, the topic is how the, the police department is hemorrhaging. But yet, they don't talk about the elephant in the room. They talk about the contracts as being the largest component for why the department is shrinking. And you and I know that's a complete farce. We actually spoke recently, and you brought up an excellent point. Back, I think it was 2009. I'd have to actually check, make sure it's factual. I think it was
2: 2007.
0: Wow, it's that early. 2007, look. The starting salary, right in, in, a, in a contract that was implemented back then, was twenty five thousand one hundred, which is at the time I think that was less than making McDonald's, which is chump change. Here you are, you're wearing a firearm, you work for the New York City Police Department, sure, and it's twenty five thousand one hundred, right? And yet, guys were still taking the job. Guys were still taking the job. Uh, and we know that it's a complete farce. It's absolutely ridiculous that guys are taking, that are not taking the job not because of the contract. Because back then, there was pride in being NYPD. Clearly, guys don't take this job because of, of a salary. Everyone knows if you decide to work in law enforcement, you're not going to be rich. You live a modest lifestyle, but you sure as hell are not going to be rich. But you do it because of pride, because it's in your blood. And now, let's talk about the elephant room. John, if you want to take over, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, anyone that follows me on social media, you know, I've, I got a lot of backlash. I got a lot of backlash when I talked, uh, when I actually called out blue lives matter, I called out Joseph and Patrice because, you know, there was a lot of news articles at that time. And there was a lot of news reports going down and, you know, uh, I'm a guy that gets called a lot for quotes and stuff like that. But at the time when we start talking about mass exodus, nobody calls me. I'm an 18-year lieutenant. I left early from the police department. I was making close to $200,000 a year. I had a take-home car. I loved my job. I loved what I did. I worked with my friends. I worked at that point in my career. I worked with guys that I had worked with my whole life on the street, my whole life as a cop and guys that I truly love and care about that till today. I still talk to daily with through text messages, calls. They come and visit me. When I come to New York, we go out to dinner. We hang out. Our kids are friends. My wife is friends with their friends. So I was truly I was truly never. I didn't think I would ever leave the department. Um, But obviously, you know, I know I know. For, for Eric it, CcrB is a huge factor but I don't believe that CcrB is the number one reason you know cops have thick skin cops can put up with a ton of scrutiny um, I think I, I really truly believe that I truly believe that
2: a big chain on
1: so, yeah, I, I believe that the vaccine mandate is the number one reason for for the the mass exodus from the police department. So Joseph and Patrice went on the news. So did Paul DiGiacomo. So did Pat Lynch. So did uh, Lou Turco. They all went on the news speaking about how... Um, All of these other reasons and pay was the number one reason that they all cited pay, 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 pay. And I'm like, how do you go on the news and you don't talk about the number one reason we're losing thousands of people into retirements of people that have over 20 years that would have stayed into people who retired early into people who left the job? They vested out or they resigned. They said, you know what? I'm out of here and left the job. Some of them cited that reason. A lot of people out of fear did not cite that reason as, as the reason why they left. But the vaccine mandate the the is, to me, in my opinion, is the number one reason. So I pay close attention to all of those, and I'm a big critic of anyone who who speaks about a mass exodus in the police department and doesn't bring that up. I've, I've spoke out against Bill Bratton. I've spoke out against a lot of people and I get a lot of backlash that, like that being told that i'm being disrespectful to my profession and to my colleagues but i think i think the total opposite they're very being very disrespectful to the thousands and thousands of men and women who were forced from their careers so again i and and i and i said it to them before and i'll say it again when i watch those news articles very closely and i will call you out if i see you on the news and you're not and you're and i will call bullshit i don't care and i expect you to do the same of me so if, if you hear something and you think it's full of shit you know, like I said, o- open invite, you know.
0: Well, first of all, I mean, let's, let's even circle back. We're talking about the salary here. And I remember in 2007 when it was 25100 I don't even think the guys that were taking the job actually even did their research to find out how much they actually make. Once they were in, obviously, at some point when they started to do their paperwork and figure out what kind of health insurance they had, they probably realized I'm making pennies. But no one cared at that point. They were just super excited. That, you know, Mayor Adams likes to say that New York City is a brand. Well, NYPD was the brand of policing. I mean, at this point right now, it's, it's, it's embarrassing, some of the stuff that I see, right? It's embarrassing. I mean, I still wear NYPD shirts. and wear one right now. I was part of the, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu team with the NYPD. And there's still, thank God, there's still people around the country that have a great image for the NYPD. But we know within, It's crumbling. It's it's unfolding, it's unraveling as we speak, and it's it's unfortunate for them. It's what fort- fortunate for us. They've given us so much content to talk about on a weekly basis. There's just so much unfolding here. But to, to to make the main fact, the salary is is such a farce. And you and I know, vaccine mandate is probably the largest component, and also the pressures that the cops are getting, particularly anti-crime, the guys that have transitioned to these neighborhood safety teams, the guys that still want to do proactive policing, that they're facing repercussions from the civilian complaint review board that is extremely punitive. And I'm also a firm believer that's also because of the discipline matrix. And because of that discipline matrix, if you're an active police officer, you're an active cop, you have to have a window of three years without any discipline. And one thing I learned back when I was in the Marines that if you don't have any discipline or you don't get in any type of trouble or, let's not say trouble. Let's say, say that you're not in any type of situation where you have to be accountable and articulate why you took such a, such actions because of the power responsibility that you have then you clearly are not doing your job. Because if you're sitting, hiding out, well, you can't get to the next level. You have to put yourself in harm's way. There's going to be snags along the way. And that's part of the business. These this, you know, every job you pay taxes, and that's one of the taxes. When you're an NYPD or any type of law enforcement, because you have such power, you carry a firearm, you have the ability to go out, go a to eat someone's life, and then go out to lunch. So, yes, you have to be accountable for that. And for them to talk about the salaries, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hold these people accountable. We don't have to be nice to them. It's absolutely ridiculous. I expect more of them. Now, Pat Lynch, you've been in this business for so many years, and you call yourself a cop. Let's be honest. You're a politician. You are not a cop. You have not been hit the streets. I don't know how you could fight for these guys. The stuff that that your knowledge about is not relevant to what's going on in modern era policing, particularly post-George Floyd, because that's exactly what's going on right now. So right now, I'm asking you, Pat it's time to step down. I'm not saying that you're not good at what you do. You have a silver tongue. You're fantastic speaking to the public. Right now, we need someone that is willing to get their own head chopped off to help these cops. And clearly, you're not willing to do that right now. And to just talk about the salary is let's talk about this vaccine mandate, particularly people like yourself. And you had the courage to actually take a stand and say you cannot continue to do this job and put something in your body because you chose not to. And you and I spoke about this. You said you actually at some point you said to yourself, well, it's actually so easy to just get injected with this. But you stand for something and other people should stand for something as well. And here we are. The judge has made a decision. A strong decision about this vaccine mandate, but Mayor Adams continues to double down, and that is a shame. No,
1: it's, a, it's absolute disaster. And yeah, you're right. The pressure of the job and and the pressure of the job's immense. It is completely immense. And you know, for years, and and I know you, Dim. Like I know for you that you're the guy that, as these these orders come down, you're gonna sit there and say all right, I'm going to learn this order, I'm going to understand it, and I'm going to continue to go forward. But I'll be honest, and and I was that guy for a long time in my career, but I'll be honest. And, And again, in about 2015, it got so ridiculous, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, the matrix drops, all these crazy things that are coming down. I again, like I said, I, I, I had to stop owning it on the street. I'm like, none of this even makes sense anymore. So I don't blame anyone at this point for stepping back from saying, you know what, I'm not gonna be subject to the rules of this matrix because I don't even understand those rules. I don't understand a lot of what's what's being talked about in on there, who's judging me, how I'm gonna be judged. And from and um, from what we're seeing now, the people that are judging us have zero police experience. They have zero integrity to back up their words or their decisions. And by all means, what's going on with that vaccine mandate shows they're not even willing to uphold the law, whether they agree with it or not. You know what I mean? I've, you know, I've always upheld the law in my career, whether I agreed with it or not. It doesn't matter. Like what once once it comes down to the final decision, it is what it is. It went to court um, and they're just completely ignoring it. Uh, and again. Again, the only reason for the the ignore that that Mayor Adams is ignoring it is the only reason. And you could go back and you could fact check me. He said it on Rosanna Scott. He said it on a bunch of other media. He said it at the podium a few times. We're continuing to mandate this for public sector employees because this is New York City, and we do things. Other people follow what we do that is not an answer it's not it's not anywhere found in the law he's denying people religious freedom he's denying people personal choice he is uh, uh, in the worst fashion and i think the thing that highlighted to me the worst was being a lieutenant and having women women of color women walk in my office hysterical crying telling me i don't want to put this in my body and i am i am enraged that people aren't right. saying aren't saying, are you kidding me? Like, how is, how is this okay? How did, how did anybody sit there and say this, especially on the men, especially on the men, you know, like, cause I'm like, you know, I, 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 I couldn't, it broke my heart. I had, I had women that could have been my mother, my grandmother, my sister, my wife, my daughter. Um, I had them coming into my office, hysterical crying, telling me, I don't want to stick this in my body. And there was clearly no reason for it. And most of them did because they had to put food on the table and, and, That was, it it was rape. It was, in my opinion, Mayor Adams at at this point should be held for crimes against humanity. It is fucking medical rape. And even though I got one better for you, super stressed out yesterday. I actually went to the doctor. I fucking blood pressure was through the roof. Uh, I got about, I'm not kidding, I got about 400 phone calls. People that were getting denied again their religious appeals were getting denied as of yesterday. Right. So the, the, the stance that the the PBA took is said, well, no one's going to be fired. No one's going to be fired. So, uh, we're not reinstating the terminated people yet, but uh, the, the city is uh, voluntarily complying with the judge's order. You're not voluntarily complying with the judge's order. You, you're you only partially complying with the judge's order. You should be held in contempt of court. City of New York, the police commissioner and Mayor Adams should be held in contempt of court because they still haven't reinstated the terminated people. But the people who are in appeals right now, as of yesterday, I think I believe it was 250 people just received denials get the shot in seven days or you're fired right so what do they do they call me because they have nowhere to go they're calling me i'm not on the clock i don't get any union dues i don't get paid i'm not a lawyer so i'm like immediately i'm like email everyone email your union email personnel email the meo uh, leave desk whoever's in charge of this vaccine mandate get it on paper that they're not going to fire you i don't care what your delegate says nobody at this point nobody should even be listening to your delegate your delegate's have no power they have nothing they're not even well informed i mean i wouldn't be going to them i'm sure some of the delegates are are good men and women but i mean on on this issue there's really they're not really the person to speak to so i received hundreds of calls yesterday i was you know it was a a stressful day uh and to find out oh well no one's gonna be fired though don't worry about it but how do you feel when you how do you how would you feel them if you're getting an email telling you you're going to be fired in seven days and in one end. And and it just, again, it goes back to leadership. There's absolutely no,
0: no leadership in the department. Well, this is, this is, has to be highlighted. And I, I can tell you this. So I listened to, I think actually you sent it to me or somehow it serves. There was an interview with Tucker Carlson, right? A fireman that was fired as a result of the vaccine mandate. And along with his attorney. And he said something that really struck a lightning bolt with me. He said that they worked the height of the pandemic. And that goes for us as well. But they worked the height of the pandemic. And then when everything started to calm down and they were under the impression that it was pretty much the heightened risk, the threat was pretty much over, that that is when the vaccine mandate started to be pushed to the firemen and other city agencies. And he's 100% right. Because at that point, when the pandemic started to dwindle down and people were starting to get antibodies because they've been exposed to it, whether they actually had symptoms or asymptomatic, here, he was now being told that if you don't take the shot, you're now a threat to the safety and health of your fellow co-workers, and the members of the city. And it's ironic, just like the riots were strategically and orchestrated, it was the same thing. The vaccine mandate was administered and pushed within days of last year's election. I'm sure you remember that. Within days. And here we are, one year later, we're getting close to an election time. We're about to elect a governor. And the vaccine mandate has been overturned by a judge the judge has made the right decision and yet mayor adams is doubling down why because who his constituents are he even publicly said that he wants to work and he looks forward to teaming up with uh, with the governor uh with with Hochul. and that's this is absolutely insane and that's why i say that mayor adams talks two sides of his mouth one side he tells the cops that he wants them to go out there and do broken windows policing. Yet we don't have broken windows to police anymore. Most of these tools that we were able to use and actually use as a prerequisite to get illegal firearms and to get the bigger crimes, we can't even use anymore. And we were able to use those for discretion to build a rapport with the community. Those tools are off the table. And then at the other, at the other side of his mouth. Right. The direction to the public is that he's teaming up with the governor and the same people that have been behind and supporting this bail reform. And this bail reform, we know, has unparalleled to other agencies and other cities, has completely unfolded and tore the city apart. I mean, the city is crumbling. I've been traveling right now and I've been speaking to people all over the country. And some of the people tell me that they have visited New York within the past year. And for those people that have visited New York in the past, they said they see a completely different New York and that they don't even want to return. So how do we not see it within? We have a mass exodus. This police department is crumbling. I saw a picture the other day. It was a picture of a police officer peeking their head out, checking the trains. Hey, that looks great. It looks great for pictures. The presence is important. I talked about the balance. Yes, it's important to have presence. But what we don't have, we don't have those anti-crime units out there. We don't have plain clothes. We don't have the support of our, our police officers, our cops, to actually go out there and intercept people before they commit these crimes. There's no support. There's no morale. The department is crumbling. I remember in my last year, because the department is shrinking so much, we used to have those little morale boosters You know, we would have barbecues in the back of the precinct, in the parking lot, while we we're working, guys would come back and forth and have a hamburger, and we would break bread, and we would talk shop. And that—if the public doesn't understand—that is so important. It's so important that you see law enforcement and police officers engaging in conversation and laughing. Why? Because it's healthy, and then your police officers will be motivated to go out there. Here's the irony of all this: with this discipline, discipline matrix if a police officer, cop, or any rank is in a situation that they're facing this discipline matrix, you're going to face 30 or more days of vacation that you're going to lose. And here's the idea, because as a police officer, you need vacation time so that you can decompress. That is part of your mental health when you're doing law enforcement. And yet the Civilian deployment Review Board wants to bring police officers and cops on charges and use the discipline matrix and weaponize it So they lose 30 or more days. So now it's causing you more traumatic stress because you don't even have any vacation time. If The public understands that if you have five and a half years or more on the job, that you get 27 vacation days a year. So if you lose 30 or more, it's going to take more than a year's time to retrieve that vacation time back. So how much stress are we now adding to that police officer? So here we have a department that's shrinking, right? So, and, and that's why I say this is not a union. These are not unions. Because I know plenty of friends of mine that work at the electrical union, elevated unions. And if it takes two men to do a particular job, if they don't have two men, that job is not going to get performed unless someone comes in on overtime. But what's the, what's the ideology of the police department? Let's do more with less. So if we only have two cops and it's a three-man job, guess what? Two cops are taking on that job. And so now they have more stress. They're working more hours. They have less time off. And I can tell you this. I would say the average cop does not live in the city. They're traveling 60, 70 miles. I can speak for myself working in the South Bronx. Most of the police officers and cops there, because they can't afford to live in the city, they travel from far upstate, Orange County. They travel from Rockland County, 60, 70 miles in traffic to get to work. So they're commuting to work. And the community back home after working 12 hours of a traumatic and stressful day. And for you, Chris Bau who thinks it's such a cushy job and there's nothing to it, I encourage you to please put on a uniform and try what it's like to be a law enforcement for one day and just feel the experience and then come back and tell me. And if you have an opportunity, Chris Brown, please. Read about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Because obviously you're suffering from that. And again, I always talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect. What is that? That's when the least you know about a subject, the more you think you could do it. And Chris Bow, clearly you think you could do it. And I can tell you this. You have no idea what it takes to be an effective police officer or cop. Let me take pride in the word being cop.
2: This department
0: is shrinking.
2: And I believe
0: that the numbers that they're using are far worse than they are right already. You know, when we get rosters and we actually show the amount of police officers working, they count who's on temporary leave. They count who's on maternity leave. These people are not full duty. They count who's on military leave. Let's talk about who's actually full duty, who could have their boots on the ground. And if the public actually knew how many police officers are on the ground in percentage in comparison to 8 million people in this city, it's scary. You know it.
1: So you said a lot, that. You definitely just unpacked a lot of it. A lot of what you said is like very important, I think. Um, so, first of all, big shout-out to all the big burly men that used to jump out on guys they were playing clothes. Big shout-out to them. Uh, thank you guys for doing that. You kept the people in New York safe, right? So... You spoke about cops losing vacation days, right? Thirty vacation days. And then you, you went into how cops, after five years, get 27 vacation days a year. And everyone listening to that is going to be like, oh, boo-hoo. I don't get 27 vacation days a year. Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. You guys are crying. You get 27 vacation days a year. Let me explain something to you. You work five days as a police officer. It depends on your chart. You either work five on with two off. Usually, those two days, you work one of them, if not all of them. Right? You you cannot take off at your own leisure. There is it's an impossibility. The the numbers are so low that there's always they're always running. And now I hear horror stories that there'll be there'll be nights and there'll be days where there's three sergeants working in the command covering a 24 hour shift, you know. Um crazy. So so 27 days throughout a whole year is the time, those are the only twenty-seven days that you're allowed to actually plan something, that you could actually have, make a plan and say, yes, I will be there that day. I will go on vacation that day with my wife. Yes, babe, I could attend our daughter's communion that day. Yes. You know, uh, uh, anything short of your own parents dying anything short of your own parents or your own immediate family member dying, you may not be able to attend that funeral as a police officer. So I don't think anybody understands that aspect of it. So I just want to highlight for the, the, the abuses of the police schedule. So it's either you have five on and two off or you have five on and it uh, rotates and then two off and then five on and three off. Try planning Try planning your life and your year and your even next few weeks as your days off rotate, as your schedule is constantly changing, as you go to work. There were times I went to work and then i come home for three days. I smelled, I was tired. There was a rest that I made that by the time I got to the district attorney's office, three days later, I didn't even remember what the initial rest was. I was like, oh my God, I can't remember. So I just want to just highlight how much of a cushy, cushy job being an NYPD police officer as a little skinny men like Chris Bao. Um, so that's, that's one. That's one thing I want to talk about. The other thing I want to talk about that you said is how Adams is, right? Adams has for a while been blaming the DAs, been blaming the federal government been blaming the gun manufacturers, and been blaming the governor and the state legislator for not changing bail reform. He goes up to the governor. He speaks to her about bail reform. He comes back with her between his tail and his legs, and he comes out and he endorses her the next week. He is a fool. He is playing politics he has no concern to keep the people and the citizens of new york safe he has not implemented one thing if the only thing he has done that's been crime related is supposedly reinstitute anti-crime and we already debunked that here and again i don't care whether you put them in uniform or they're in plain clothes they don't have the ability i could go out i'm sure i'm sure me and you could strap up our uniform bright white shirts i'll wear my medium white shirt and uh, I'm sure we could go out and, and make a lot of arrests the same we did in anti crime, but we don't have the tools to do it,
2: dude.
0: Unreal what you just said. What you said, I actually got chills and goosebumps by the stuff that you're saying because it's so true. And to highlight about what's going on right now, these the crime guys, or I'm sorry, now that they call them neighborhood safety teams, they only have so many tools at their disposal, and there is. There is no way that they could do this job the way that we did it before, right? Listen, if I was a construction worker, I have to go out there. I have a tool belt. I have a hammer. I have a screwdriver. There's certain things that I have to get the job done. It's the same thing as a police officer. You need tools and resources that you disposal, And these tools and these resources have been cut off. And I can tell you this. Here's one of my major gripes when we go back to talking about the discipline matrix. When the discipline matrix came out, John, what training did you have so that you could transition into the discipline matrix from what you had your entire experience? What, what training did you have?
1: Uh, absolutely none. I actually went on my own because the only thing I saw was, hey, we're looking to implement this disciplinary matrix. So I downloaded the whole thing. I, was, I printed it out. I was reading it at home. You know, I was reading it at home on my own. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, there was a survey on what we thought about it. And but the surveys in the police department, I could be wrong on that. But whether I'm right or wrong, just one thing on the surveys in the police department, they give you a survey and they give you the answers that will only lead to one opinion. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a true survey. It's not a true survey because you cannot. There, there's there's like there, it was never had my side there. My side was never. So I stopped taking the surveys because I'm like, I'm not I'm not taking the surveys because they're 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 only meant the wording and the questioning is meant to only derive one conclusion. So and I do believe something like that came out about it. Like, what did we think about it? Or we had the ability to email our thoughts about it. And like I said here, I, I had I questioned what is hate speech and why will I be fired for it? Is is hate speech saying I support the police department? Is it hate speech saying that I believe I'm a man? Um, I believe a man and a woman should be married. Uh, anything, like, a- anything that I could say. And, and I don't even, you know, I'm not saying that any of those things are what, what I believe or not. I just, what is hate speech? Who defines it? Why am I going to be fired for it? That was one that popped in my head right away. But there was so many other things. And you know, again, we'll be held to the standard. Eric Dim will be held to the standard. John McCari will be held to the standard. All the cops, all the sergeants, even the even the, even the low level captains, they will be held to the standard of that matrix. But how about our three star chiefs? Are they held to the standards of that matrix? Because I don't I don't believe so whatsoever. I don't believe so whatsoever because you know there are guys currently. Um, the chief of patrol, I will say, who, who I think is a great guy, by the way, you know, he has a, he has an abysmal off duty record. He really does. He's peppered up like crazy off of incidents off duty that I know for a fact that if, if he was a white man, he would, he would have been asked to leave the department. He would not hold that title.
0: Uh, that's, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that I think that we, we should expose. And I would love to talk about that because, You, here you are, you were put in a position to make a choice to either vest out or get fired, and you have a fantastic record. I was actually put in a position to retire or stay on the job and continue to be targeted and also not get promoted to captain where I studied. And then you have people like such that you just described that have far worse discipline records than you and I, and yet they're in a position power, extreme power, and they're on the fence and the border of being a politician. And, and that's one of my gripes. Now, I'm a man, and I believe to take accountability and responsibility for yourself. And I can live with myself. And I understood that I got passed over for promotion because these civilian complaints place way that was substantiated. Now, do I agree with them? Absolutely not. But I understood. That's the process. And I was held up for promotion. here we have someone who's an executive, executive staff, who can make far changes about this police department, and yet that person has far worse discipline records than you and I put together. And so for that, I believe this should be comparable. If I'm going to be held to the standard, then absolutely the people that administer the standard should be held as well. right? I used to always believe that. I never had to tell my personnel, to be on time to work. I used to always have this ditty. I learned it in a but it was before time is on time. On time, you're late. You're late, you're fired. So I used to always show up before. So I could. I never had to tell my guys you have to be on time because they knew I was there. It's the same thing. How could our executive staff say, hey, you're going to be held to this discipline matrix, but yet they have not been held to it as well. And my gripe with that discipline matrix is there you go. You had zero training on it. And I believe that was done on purpose. And this job does that quite often where they present some type of literature or some type of documentation that we're held to and we're never trained on it. And then when things go wrong or questionable, you get training as a knee jerk reaction post of that situation. So here, the only reason I have learned to become so savvy and understand the is I've read it so many times and I ripped it apart and really dissected it, but our police officers and even our supervisors. And I I question if the union really understands this discipline matrix. And I say that for all the unions. Because if they did, I don't know how that they actually allowed this to pass and they put their stamp on it. How are we not out there protesting ourselves? Because this discipline matrix, for someone to be held to to this discipline matrix requires extensive training, extensive reading, and really has to be an extensive amount of understanding because it's so complex and this discipline matrix is so diverse and you are held to a three year standard of what can be used against you. So if you have a civilian complaint that's substantiated and you had lost your plaque a year before and got a command discipline that, losing your plaque is an aggravated factor that can be held against you. And yet the two don't even correlate. They're not even in the same arena but yet, that's going to be held against you. This discipline matrix is completely unfair, and they use the discipline matrix now for incidents that may be held that happened prior to the the birth of this discipline matrix. So it's completely wrong, and all these factors we talk about are just just a small number that are c- contribute a contribution towards this mass exodus. I mean, this is absolutely insane, and I ask myself sometimes. Who in their right mind would want to become NYPD right now? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, here we are. I think this is a great opportunity that we go into the next segment here. Here we are. And you just said me, we have an arrest situation where a police, two police officers are engaged in combat with a violent perpetrator. And then that police officer makes the, the choice. To hold back his partner so that the perpetrator can escape. Why? John, let's tell him why. Because this is absolutely insane.
1: Oh, sure. So, I attended right before I retired. It wasn't right before, but it was a few months before. It was actually one of the few in-person trainings that I would attend at this point because, as Dim was saying, we, we haven't been getting much training. It went to this like computerized version of training where you're just checking boxes. It's like, oh, did you watch this four-second video that doesn't ask, answer any questions that you may have about the subject? And, okay, here's two questions. Oh, you passed. Great. You're trained. And it'll it'll populate onto my record that I was trained at the, on the a subject: When, when in real reality, I watched a two-minute video that didn't answer anything, and I answered two questions that I half the time I didn't even watch the video because it was such bullshit. I didn't even want to li- listen to it. I would just <laughs> click the answer I thought was right, and I and I passed. You know,
2: um,
1: the only the only training in the NYPD I ever fail was the PowerPoint one because it's a little bit more involved. You can't just answer the questions there, um, and that's not mandatory. I just did that on my own because I was trying to learn PowerPoint. Um, so. <laughs> So, so okay. So I attend this training. It's called ABLE training. Tim, I don't know the ac- acronym. Do you know the acronym? Yes. What
0: is it? So I want the public to understand. This is a knee-jerk reaction to post-George Floyd. You ready for this? It stands for Active Bystander in Law Enforcement Training. There you go. It, that speaks volumes to me. What, what is just? Just those four words. What does that say to you? So
1: so okay. So so I, I sit down at the training. I sit down at the training and the the first initial part of the training. John, is, did you have
2: this training?
1: I had this training, yeah, yeah. No, okay, yeah so okay. I sit down, the first initial part I have of this training is basically teaching attempting to teach moral integrity. Right? Moral integrity. Seven. So the Seven. first The first part of the training goes into these studies that were done by like college professors where, you know, they took a group of kids and they would say, all right, walk across the campus. And they would do it at a time when the campus was dead and they would send one at a time and a medical emergency would happen while that person walked and they would see how many people would actually stop and help someone or how many people would just keep walking. Um, so, you know, I, I was pretty dead on, I, on everything. I answered about 90% keep walking, 10% will help, you know, and that was basically my answer for every scenario they gave like that. And the guy actually said to me, he goes, why do you keep saying that? I said, cause you know, it's just, it's just a fact. 10% of the people do, do 90% of the work. 90% of these people have no idea what's even going on around them, you know? Oh. And, and it goes back to the point of, You know, what you said, how when you're an anti-crime cop, you're in the matrix, right? And how cops, how we walk around through this world, right? I I could pick out a cop. I could pick out a criminal. All three of us could pick out each other, but nobody else sees us or what's going on around us. So it's very reminiscent of what you, you were saying. So, you know, that part of the training bothered me significantly because I was like, here we are. We're forcing women to stick something in their body, everyone's being silent about it, and you're attempting to teach moral integrity to cops. And these are people that, by the way, if you're a cop and you're not going to stop and help somebody when you're by yourself, you picked the wrong profession, my friend. You are already you already should be fired i'm sorry like i if i have to train you and and, and i'm not saying not to have these conversations cuz cuz like you, i think you said it earlier the brain's a muscle you got to work it out um yes. it is and i and i agree with that so let's have these conversations it's always better to know to 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 put it out there and have but it really was really bothering me and then it gets to the the active bystander and law enforcement. There you go. And what, I, and what the first video they show me, it's in the midst of a, a riot in Seattle. It's in the midst of a riot in Seattle. Think of the train. <laughs> and, during, and during that video, what I see in the background is chaos. I see a ton of cops fighting with people. I see numerous cops make arrests by sweeping the leg and immediately putting the knee on top of the suspect's neck. So as they pan the video, as they pan the video, all I see in the background, because I'm looking in the background, I'm looking at everything. I'm trying to grab everything in this quick thing. All I see in the background, I see two other arrests being made and there's a cop, two other cops have their knee on someone's neck. Okay. So now it gets to who they're going to train us on. And bam, it's a guy it's uh, two cops. They wrestle a perpetrator down to the ground. They wrestle a perpetrator down to the ground. Knee goes on the neck. He takes him down in a swift, swift move. Swift move. Boom. Very fluid. I'm like, obviously, they're trained to do this. In my head, as I see it, I'm like, they're all doing it. So what happens now is is as they're fighting, the his partner comes over, attempts to help him. Attempts to help him. And there's somebody filming this whole incident. And the partner takes... The, 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 the officer's knee Who has the knee on the guy's neck And grabs him by the pants and moves the knee over And they stop it And they say Did he do the right thing Or is it frowned upon That he moved that guy's knee And I immediately raised my hand I said it depends And they were like why would you say that It depends I said I don't, I said, I, I don't like the whole knee on the neck thing And I know that how that How that portrays and how that won't look well. And we're all very obvious of this in this room because we've been dealing with cell phone videos forever. Right. Like we've been so the minute the phone was invented and it was about the start of our career. We've been dealing with that forever. So, you know, we're already very familiar with how things appear and how they'll go into the media. You know, we're celebrities with the muscle, but without the money. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we are. We'll front cover the paper. You know, Eric Dibbs right here. I got his autograph. You know, we're celebrities without the money. You know, I always say that all the time, you know, and um,
2: <laughs>
1: and basically. So I said, it depends. I said you're going to have me sit here and critique this guy, I said, but I just see two other guys in the background that made an arrest and they have their knee on the guy's neck. It's obviously part of their training. So I can't really make a fair critique. If it's the NYPD, I say, absolutely, he did the right thing. Absolutely, he did the right thing. But now, if it's not the NYPD, and this is how they're trained, and you're interfering with tactics that I'm trained to do, that I'm supposed to do, that it's illegal for me to do, that I have to do, I don't know if that's the right thing. So I really don't know. I don't know what, what we're getting at here. Like, I really don't. What what'd you think about the training,
0: Tim? Well, I mean, I think, I think the training is absolutely ridiculous. Okay? I don't think we need this training. You learn in the academy from day one integrity, which means we know the difference between right and wrong. And if you see something that's completely wrong, you address it. But now, again, here we are, the New York City Police Department. It's always a knee-jerk reaction. This is just one big knee-jerk reaction to the post-George Floyd era, which, again, this is where I go back to. Does the public really believe that one incident is going to affect us all? And I'm going to give the harsh truth. Sometimes it is necessary to put your knee on someone's neck or locations that maybe appear to be an ugly sight, but it's necessary to gain compliance. OK, in that particular video with George Floyd, it was an extensive long period of time. OK, that's one scenario. That's one incident, and as far as I'm concerned, it's an isolated incident. So every incident is never the same. So I agree with you. It's a it's a, it's a, case-by-case basis. It depends. And like you said, it may be applicable in a violent situation for a short amount of time until it's necessary to gain that compliance. So what we've come to a point is that anyone is scared. Just the idea that a knee goes near someone's neck because of this George Floyd syndrome. But that's not the case. In some cases, it may be necessary and in some cases it's got to the point where people are just afraid that it need to be anywhere near the neck what if someone is leaning but really putting their balance on their toes with their knees there just to control the person in compliance and like you said they may be trained in a particular way and it may be suitable for that particular situation but now i think with this able training this active bystander law enforcement training we've gone way too far and it's 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 happening And I say it; it's an epidemic and it's been instilled in the brain of the new police officers because I hear about it time and time where I've heard, and I don't know if you've heard this case. This is a case that has been talked about throughout the police department. It was at the West Indy parade where a sergeant was getting paraded by a crowd and he made the conscience decision to make a discount arrest and some rookie, was filming it with his body camera from across the street, runs over and pulls the sergeant away and holds him back. That is not active bystander law enforcement training, and that's how this has been fed to these new police officers: that they have to intervene and that uh, basically allow these perpetrators, these persons of interest, to. Get in the personal zone of a police officer and berate them. That that's okay. That's being a bystander and onlooker. No. If you're an onlooker, you can watch from a distance. Our phones have amazing capabilities. You can zoom in and you can watch from a safe distance. But when you're in six to eight feet of a police officer, that is not a safe distance. It's six to eight feet. There's a lot of damage that you can create, and you are in a situation where you can hurt someone. So no, we don't need to create space. And it's gone so far that these new police officers feel that they have to intervene in everything. And that's how we come to this particular complaint, where a police officer engaged in a violent situation, and his partner holds him back so that the perpetrator can escape. Why? Because in his mind, that's what he was taught. He has to intervene because the civilian complaint review board is, who's the commissioner now? You ask me. The commissioner of the New York City Police Department is now the civilian complaint review board. That's who we work for, and it's obvious. And that's how we came to the point in this act of bystander law enforcement training. You as a police officer, you are not a bystander. And I hate that terminology. A bystander is someone that is independently not involved in the situation. You're a police officer. You're involved. So how can you be a bystander? And you and I know, on the scene, it's not the time to start pushing police officers back and hold them back. Maybe afterwards is an opportunity where we can talk about something, to control the environment and say, hey, what was that tactic you were using? Why did you apply that? That's how we learn. We discuss things in the aftermath, not while it's going on. Because the police officer that may be using appropriate tactic that he's trained or she is trained may get confused, and you could cause a worse situation because you want to show off of the camera. And that's what I think April training is. It's showing off for optics. What do you
1: think? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I would, you know, I know you've been involved and I've been involved in numerous tussles in, as a police, as a police officer trying to affect arrest both as a police officer as a sergeant, even as a lieutenant, trying to affect arrest of someone that does not want to go to jail. So yes. I am I am not an active bystander. I am in that scene. And I've always been vocal and I've always been strong. And I've always been able to keep a cool head under pressure and be able to react as my adrenaline flows and as my uh as my frontal lobe shuts down. I'm able to kind of stay. So I always bark orders while I'm fighting. And for some reason, whenever I fight, I'm always talking. It's just it's just my natural reaction. I don't know why I do it. I just do it. But I've been in situations where it could be bad for the perpetrator because, again, we don't want to fight fair. We want to outnumber you. So, if we have your hands behind your back and someone's on your chest or there's two guys on your chest for an extended period, yes, I will direct, pull him to his side, blah, 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 blah whatever. I'll get in there. I'll move people with my knee. Uh, but I am helping place him under arrest effectively and safely for everybody. I am not holding anybody back for the optics. Of it, that is that to me is cowardice. That is interfering in an arrest. That is obstructing governmental authority. That obstructing governmental administration. That is OGA. Like you, what what that officer did, he allowed a perpetrator to escape by holding his partner back. Now, and I, you know, I I I'm all for that. We need to be in that scene, but you need to you need to be aware of the job you take. I want to just tell a little story about something because it's just, it's just pop. It's just flowing in my head. The crime sergeant, um, sergeant on patrol that night was in eating, uh, violent EDP comes over with a knife. Okay. Violent EDP comes over with a knife. I hear the radio spark and it's two female officers. They're not strong officers. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but you're, you weren't a strong officer. I hope you are now. I don't know. Um, they go up and it's a walk up in Brooklyn. It's a walk up. It's like a six story in Brooklyn. Um, it's on the third floor. They said a male attempted to jump out the window. And now he has a, he has a butcher knife to his neck. There's a baby in the house and um, he's suicidal EDP. So I hear them going. I'm not too far. No cars go over there. I don't hear anyone going. It's not my job that night to go to any of these jobs but I, I don't believe in that I don't. I, I never adopted that I never was like oh, I'll let them handle it, I, it was ne- when I hear things I know what's going on I I get a clear picture of kind of what's happening so I hear them going I direct I pull another car even though it's not my job that night I pull another car off of a low priority job I send them to back there I tell the kid that's driving me go over there go over there so we go there uh, I get into the building. First off, when I get to the building, the door is locked to the building. They didn't place anything inside the door so that I couldn't access the apartment building, which is I learned very early on as a rookie. I got my ass chewed out for not doing that. And, you know, these 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 cops at this point have six or seven years on. They, this is this is policing 101. You walk into a building, you stick something in that door so the cops could get in behind you. Um, so I smash all the, I smash all the buttons. Thank God someone's obviously waiting for us to come, hits the door, Eh, lets me in. Boom. I get buzzed in. I open the door. I stick something in the door so that the cops that I called over could come in. Um, I hear screaming. We walk up to the third, we walk up to the third floor. I'm not going to take the elevator and waste time. I, you know, I I don't run up at, at a huge pace, but I walk up at a, at a, at a fast pace. And as I approach the third floor landing, um, There's actually two apartments directly in front of me. To my right is the apartment in question, Um, and I see inside of the apartment, I see both police officers with their back to the wall. I see EMS is already there on the scene, and one of the EMS person has their EMS bag in front of them almost in a protective manner. And perpetrator, he's a young white male. I believe he was of a Russian descent. He had an accent. I don't remember. I see two elderly people in the background towards the kitchen. And I see a young girl holding a baby on the couch to my right when I walk in. Um, And he, before, as I'm approaching, he has his finger in the face of one of the female officers. And he says, don't you fucking touch me, you fucking cunt. So in my head, I'm like, okay. They don't have this scene under control at all. I don't know if this guy has a knife. I don't know what's going on. I just know that he needs to be put into custody immediately. That is how I'm going to de-escalate the situation, by putting him in handcuffs. So I had worked with the kid that drove me for a while, so we kind of knew each other, and I never even had to say what I was going to do. He already knew what I was going to do. I walked into the room. He turns to me. He's like, what the fuck are you going to do? I put my hands up in the air. I said, oh, no, nothing, bro. I'm not going to do nothing. Just your friendly local police department. We're just here to see what's going on. And I get right to him, and I grab his face, and I sweep his leg and slam him to the floor. The kid comes behind me. He, the, he strikes me as I do that. The, the perpetrator strikes me in the face. My driver comes over and hammer fists him, and we get him turned around. He hits him once. He goes to the side to defend himself, get his arms. We handcuff him. The cops on the scene at EMS say, he wasn't an EDP. I'm like, take him out. I said, take, take. I, I, now the the second car shows up. I'm like, do me a favor, take him outside. Take him outside. He has a little mark on his face from the hammer fist. He's sweating. I'm gonna sue you. Blah, 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 They didn't like to see the violence. So all of a sudden I hear from EMS and, and the cops on the scene that I went there to help. I hear, I hear he wasn't an he wasn't an emotionally disturbed person. He wasn't an EDP. He wasn't an EDP. So I don't even look at them. I'm like, shut your mouth. I said to EMS, don't go anywhere. You're staying right here. He's going with you to the hospital. Call your boss to the scene. I was like, call your boss here right now. I was like, I'm sorry, sir. I walk over to the old man. I said, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry that happened. I said, could you just explain to me what happened? He says, he's on drugs. My son's on drugs. He attempted to jump out the window. I pulled him out of the window. I pulled him back in from the third floor. He grabbed a butcher knife and put it to his neck. I was able to wrestle it away from him. I just looked at EMS, and EMS says, I'm sorry. I was like, I don't care. Get your boss here. I don't care. I was like, you two? I was like, you two? You're sitting with him all night. You're sitting with him the rest of the night until he gets admitted. And he does. He winds up getting admitted. They didn't like to see the reality of police work, the brutality of police work. I didn't have a body camera at that time. If I did, if I did, that would have been One complaint against me and I would have had probably several allegations on that that I would have had to self-report this is before try reporting this is before all that so we're walking into a, a generation of police officers who really don't understand and are afraid to use physical force when it's necessary and it's it's not a good look it's not a good look it's not safe for the cops but how did that lady feel in the background When she had her little baby, and this kid is a complete maniac beating up his elderly parents, almost killed himself. Do you think the father, the wife, and the mother thanked me and hugged me? I punched their son in the face. I grabbed him by the face and slammed him to the ground and I put him in handcuffs. But guess what? He went to the hospital that day. He got admitted. And, you know, I'm sure he went to drug rehab. I hope he's doing well now. If I didn't correct that situation right there, potentially, he could have been dead. He could have got a knife. I could have winded up shooting him. He could have stabbed one of the cops. He could have killed his parents. He could have killed his mother. He could have killed somebody else. Violence is a constant. We have to get back to I'm sorry. Things have actions have consequences. I did not create that situation. He
0: did. Wow. That was powerful, powerful. And, and you tell the story. I, I could feel myself being there. We've been in situations, like I said, there's no t- two situations the same, but I have been in situations that are similar. And that's why I want to go back to what you were saying. So you were talking about when you get into a violent situation, why do you <clears throat> why do you curse? Why do you yell? <clears throat> Excuse me. But there's actually, there's actually a reason for that. So I learned that back in the Marie Corps, and the psychology behind that. So what the public, uh, maybe they don't understand that, when military is, is marching or they run in formation and they're singing, it's not because they just like to sing songs. Yes, it's great, it builds camaraderie, but well, there's actually a scientific reason for it. So, the reason why when people march, military, or when they're in formation running, why they chant? Because that chanting controls breathing and it also controls the body so that you have a way to exhale. The energy. And what CCRB, the Civilian Complaint Review Board, and people like Chris Bao don't understand. John, you probably felt this. And I felt this numerous times. It was Even though I was pressure tested, I've trained in martial arts for many years. It's always been my passion. I did some boxing. I loved jiu-jitsu and and wrestling and Muay Thai. And I've been pressure tested. And I've been pressure tested because being a special operations lieutenant, anti-crime sergeant, an active police officer, I've always been pressure testing, but John, you ever get that feeling where it starts to build up and you're in that potential for a violent situation and your body starts to shake and you get cold. And I, I remember asking myself, wow, is it freezing out here? Cause I would start to feel my body shaking. And you probably felt that before. And that's part of the process. Your body, the adrenaline's building up and you're getting prepared for battle and what the Civilian Complaint Review Board does understand is the cursing, the, the, the yelling, that aggression is healthy. That's a way for you to exert and get that, that stuff out so that you can feel natural and feel healthy. Because what they don't understand is what's going on in your body. And that's why. And I'm glad you brought that up. Well, why? Wow, you get 27 vacation days, five days on, two days off. Well, pol- people don't understand is Being a police officer, it's like working dog ears. When you do 20 years of police work, especially if you're active, it's like if you did 50 years somewhere else. This is gorgeous right? So your body goes through the process of feeling like you, it's like you just ran a marathon and you your body it goes through these exertions all day, and that's a lot on the heart, it's a lot on the body. Because you're preparing to battle. So that's why we curse, and that's why we yell and do things like that. And I can say myself, I particularly I don't happen to curse. Just general in conversation. It's just not my nature. But when I'm in a battle, when I'm in a situation, and I've been substantiated by the Civilian complaint Review Board for offensive language, that's because cursing allows me to get those feelings out of my body and somewhere for it to go. So that's how we maintain mental health. Do you want our police officers to be psycho? And now, let's go back and reflect on the situation. So they believe this magic word is de-escalation, and that time is on your side. Time is on your side on a case-by-case basis. On this particular situation you're in, time is not on your side. you got to wrap that thing up as quick as possible because this guy is going through some type of psychosis. He's under the influence of substance. He's obviously have thousands of emotions going through him. He's already wrestled with his family. He has two cops there that are just being totally meek, so he knows he can overcome the situation. And you have to break that odor loop. And it's exactly what you Wait, do. Wait,
1: and one thing, I still don't know if he doesn't have that knife on him. Because it came over with the knife. So in my head, I'm like, is that knife on him? Did he hide that in his thing as he's pointing his finger at the girl? I still don't. I know that they didn't control that situation. So that's the other thing. I don't know that he doesn't have a knife on him.
0: A hundred percent. I totally agree with you. And your synopsis of that is a hundred percent correct. Because here you are, obviously, in a situation where the police officers aren't controlling it. And they didn't inform you whether he's armed or not. And you can go on the assumption that he's, he's armed. Because it's obvious that they didn't have an opportunity to pat him down. They haven't gotten to that that physical situation yet. There's been no hands on the suspect. So what are you left to do? It's funny it, it, in police work how in one side of the situation, you take action, you're the bully. If this if this guy would have cut your nose off like we just had a police officer, the 5-2 prison, and then you would have been the poor police officer and everyone feel bad about you. But how about we do it right down the middle? And you did exactly what you're supposed to do. You took action, and as far as I'm concerned, you saved the lives of all the people that were there. And for those EMS, shame on them for making that. Uh, that I would say, making that assumption that he's not an EDP. We they have the training; they can see it all. And you made that decision in an eighth of a second. That's why I talk referring back to, Blink and books like that. In an eighth of a second, you got there, and you made an uh, you made assessment. On uh, the entire scenario is, and made a quick decision, and that's the beauty of a police officer, and that's why they paid you to do what you do. And and for those out there that think we make a lot of money, let me tell you something: we don't. We don't make a lot of money for what we do because what we do, most people that would be their worst nightmare. And for all the people that you know, listen. On paper, it sounds great, and everybody looks up. Wow, oh, Lieutenant did make two hundred sixteen thousand. It sounds great. And I, and John, you remember, you probably heard this a lot before. I would hear this constantly. Oh, with I pay taxes, I pay your salary. Well, guess what? I was a lieutenant in the police department, and so were you. And we paid a substantial amount of taxes. And I can tell you what, I was so intrigued by how much taxes that we paid that I read a book called Tax-Free Wealth. And what I learned by that is we were all employees. And as an employee, we pay 35 to 42% a year in taxes. Five months out of the year, it goes to taxes. Not only that, so you can deduct that from 216000 and in addition to that, we paid on an average minimum of thirteen thousand a year, deducted from our pension or uh, from our checks, to go to our pensions so that we can retire. We also paid for union dues. The union is not doing much for that anyway. We also paid health. We also, and I would say this probably you most cops have a few dollars coming out of their check, donating to some type of organization. I know I did. You probably did as well. So. When the year is said and done, there's really not much left that's actually in our hands for putting our lives on the line every day. Not only that, everyone says we put our lives on the line every day. We put our lives on the line every minute. Because after you went to that job, your night wasn't over. I was assume that wasn't the last call of the night. You probably went to another call where you had to put your life on the line. And then another call. It's one after another. It's an entire day. So for you to curse and, in a situation like that, that's good. I think it should actually be something talked about to the public. They should understand the psychology behind it, because obviously those that work for civilian complaint review board—that's what I talk about perspective—don't understand because they maybe they haven't been a violent struggle themselves. That these are natural that your body goes through an, an adrenaline rush, and it sometimes, John, I, would, I I probably assume that you had the same thing that after a violent struggle, or even let's say. It was building up to it, but it never got to that point. Imagine the person in cuffs without actually putting your hands on the suspect. And yet afterwards, did you ever feel pain or cramping in your body? It's like, man, I feel like I got beat up because your body responded to protect itself. So please, Chris Bow, for you out there, you think that it's such a cushy job. I really encourage you to try it. Sign up if you want. If you're really that brave, you can become an explorer. I'm sorry, an auxiliary police officer who goes out there, and volunteers without a firearm. And for those that are out there that do volunteer as
1: auxiliary, I thank you for what you do. Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy. And just to finish up on that story and, and just tie it in and why I told that story, it's that was prior to Able training. And I always wonder, I go back after I went to that training and now hearing all of these stories about how people are saying, Oh, I'm de-escalating. I just de-escalated, I helped a prisoner escape, maybe put my partner in a bad situation where the prisoner or the, the perpetrator could have killed both of us. Maybe I just helped the perpetrator because I didn't want to see any of this. Because, you know, if we just all could get along. And, and, I, and I would love that. I really would. I would love to go to work every day as a cop and not do shit. I would love it. It would be the best job in the world. It, but it's just not. it's just not the reality of it. Like you said, cops just want to go out and drink coffee. That's what I wanted to do. That's yeah. exactly what I wanted to do. I liked people, so I would like to go meet people. I'd go, I'd go even, you know, if I could help somebody that were in a car accident, it was a good day. You know what I mean? Talk to some little kids, mess with the little kids, have fun with them. I, that would be a great day for me. But unfortunately, we're in these stressful, stressful situations. And I always wondered, would they have intervened after that training? And I always wondered that. And, and, cause, cause, Later on that evening, one of my other guys makes an arrest, and so I would always go back and put my guys in the book and make sure that the desk didn't bother them, and I would make sure they would get set up. I would go back out and make more arrests, and then I would come back and sign all their vouchers because I didn't want them to have to deal with the desk. I felt that was our job. I could deal with it. I was more trained in processing uh, drugs as vouchers or money and all of these other things and I wouldn't want them to, to deal with. And I wouldn't want to put that stress on the desk officer either because their job is super stressful. The job of a, a desk officer and a patrol supervisor, probably no one does that job correctly by the book because you can't. You don't have – there's not enough hours in the day. It would take you a week to finish one tour properly. Um, so, you know, so I would always want to alleviate that and – feel my guys feel that I was there for them and to make sure that they were doing it properly the way I wanted them to do it you know what I mean the way that kept them safe the way that I was trained to do it because I always felt two things that could get you fired from this job are the way you handle prisoners and the way you handle property and those and you know I was a pain in the ass with both of those it was a pain in the ass you know and I hate to see I've seen a couple of times in my career and now I see it more frequently now where cops aren't holding their purpose They're not holding their handcuffed perpetrator. I absolutely hate that. That is the worst tactic in the world. Put your hands and control your prisoner. Control your prisoner. Control the property. I don't care how long these things take. Do them properly. Make sure the guy's cuffed properly. If you do the same things over and over again, excellence is not not a habit. It's an act. And that's it. That's what you have to do. Just keep doing it over and over again. Um. So, so that that's you know that so that was my that's how I tie that in that incident with Abel. And just a backstory, I go so I go back to the precinct. I go back to the precinct and and my driver stays on the front steps and the two girls now are back. They're back now at the precinct because they the guy's already admitted to the hospital. They take him into psych and they take him into psych and uh when I go inside, they said, "Oh, what happened?" McCarry just wanted to come there to beat somebody up. <laughs> and my driver said to them, "He goes, I didn't even want to go." He goes, "He made us go there because he was worried about you," and and that's how you and that's what you think. He goes, and that's what you think. He goes, "I he didn't even want to go." He's like, "I didn't even want to go." He's yelling, at him, and I was. We had a conversation in the car. It's like, "What are we going for?" I was like, "Shut the fuck up and drive over there," you know, and. And he goes, I didn't even want to go. He wanted to go because he was worried about you. And and that's what happened. And that's what, and that's what you think. You think he went there to beat somebody up. It's, it's crazy. It's it's insane. Last thing I wanted to do. Last thing I wanted to do is put my hands on somebody. Uh, but I really didn't feel it. I, I had to close the gap right away. And I had to do it right away. I didn't know if he had a knife. If he did have a knife and he pulled it out, he just put me in a real trick situation. I'm pulling. I'm dropping my gun and I'm, I'm probably shooting him in close quarters in an apartment with a baby with a woman with her baby with two old people with two EMS workers with three cops beside and then and me being the fourth you know in a small apartment building in brooklyn in a small apartment in brooklyn so you know i was like i i you know and able training is empowering is empowering fear in cops of oh is is my partner doing the right thing like, listen, if your partner's going to kill someone, you think they're in a bad situation. Absolutely. But th- I don't believe that that's the case in these things. Punch in the face, really. I've been punching my face a million times. <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. You know, I'm not saying that someone should get p- beat up repeatedly or if they're incapacitated. Get the perpetrator in handcuffs. Help them get in the handcuffs. If you have an issue with anything after, talk it out in the car. If you believe anything was excessive, which I can't see how it's always excessive on our end. But a perpetrator could do anything they want to us. They could kill us. They could do what, anything they want. They could punch me in my face, poke my eye, spit on me, stick their hand in my mouth, stick their hand in my ear, grab my hair if I had any. You know, um, like any of these things. That, but everything I have to be – I have to play by all of these rules. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here to win and put it in a successful conclusion. I'm here to outnumber. You don't – I'm not going to show you how tough I am. I don't want to show you how tough I am. I, I, I am going to outnumber you. I am going to fight how some on the street when actually kids did fist fight with their hands would say fight like a coward. Yes, I'm not there to have a fist fight with you. I'm not there to show you anything. I'm not there to square up with you one-on-one. I'm going to outnumber you and I'm going to take you to the ground and you're going to be placed in handcuffs and you're going to be placed in a cell. The judge and the jury now at this point can
0: say what you did. I, I love what you're saying. It's so true. You know, I mean, we can even solidify and prove that even more. I, I'm sure in your career. I, I mean, I heard it constantly, especially doing anti-crime and addressing these violent perpetrators out there. I heard on a daily basis, take that badge off. Take that badge off. You're nothing without that badge. Right? Because we were extreme professionals. We tried to get these perpetrators in custody without looking like a tough guy. Yeah. And yet it constantly was, right? I... I was told numerous times, take that badge off. Nothing without that badge. And did I ever let my emotions get to me? Did I take that badge off and square up? And no. I, you know what? There were times I thought to myself, you know what? You're lucky. I used to say to myself, I used to think that you're lucky I got this badge on because it does protect you, right? It forces me to be a professional and to treat you in a professional manner. I'm not looking to have a one-on-one with you. You know, I'm not a thug, I'm a professional. And And so I I completely counteract what some of these people are saying. Especially, we can go back to Wang, who uh, you know likes to infer and actually talk in in regards to that last article that comes out, and she (laughs) talks about right. She thinks you know I have the uh, a warrior cop mentality. So I don't understand how warrior cop mentality would be an insult or something derogatory, because we should be warriors. How do you approach? Just like the situation you're talking about, this guy has on substances, he potentially may have a knife on him, just wrestled with his own family. He's surrounded by cops and EMS. He's still not complying right? with with that vision of authority in his presence. So how how do you respond without being a water, warrior? They talk about reimagining police work. How do we reimagine that scenario differently? How does John McCarry as a supervisor at that time, how does he approach the way— that situation. Are you supposed to go in there and say, "Well, sir, I, you know, I, I see you're having a bad day. Let's 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 try this." Well, you know what? He's far beyond that, and that clearly is not going to work. He already has his finger within inches of a cop's face. He's completely out of control. Obviously, his emotions are far beyond his own <laughs> expectations. He has no control anymore. So, it's your job at that point to control him. Now, I, I'm going to assume that was before
1: try reports was that like I said it's before try reports would tri-reports. I would have self-reported and gave right. myself and and all the cops on the scene too not just myself but I mean I, I would have had the, the majority of allegations me and my driver we would have had several allegations easy Unlaw, unlawful arrest of uh, 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 what do you want to say uh, excessive force uh, abuse of authority um, and and numerous versions of abuse of authority. Um, plus the discourtesy for the way I acted when I walked in. Cause I did try to throw him off. I tried to close the gap. I walked in. I was like, oh, it's just me, bro. I had my hands up neighborhood, local neighborhood, friendly police department. I closed the gap immediately between me and him. I walked up. He was off guard. He's like, who the hell is this guy? But he turned to me as soon as he seen us, he knew he was like, what the fuck, what the fuck are you going to do? I was like, oh no, me, I'm not going to do nothing. You know? And I just walked right up. Boom. I closed the gap. I took him down, you know? Um, cause I, and, and I was, what and I was solely concerned on his hands solely concerned on his hands because i still at that at that time believed he had a knife on him so yeah it was before tries or else i would have that would have been an out that would have been one complaint several allegations and and now i'm in a room where the parents would have would have came to my they, they would have been witnesses for me and 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 substantiated basically my claims, but the cops and the EMS workers, would they? Would they substantiate my claims or would they be to my detriment? You know, would they? I, I, I think at that moment in time with that mentality, they were more of a threat to me than actually the kid is. Because I believe if I see him today, we won't have a problem. And because I've, I've encountered that this numerous times, I've encountered numerous times where I've locked someone up, where they're in a drug psychosis state, and then, and I fought with them. And then when I've encountered them on the street, they come up to me and apologize. I've encountered it numerous times, numerous times in my career, you know, numerous times in my career, I, I lived in Staten Island, I worked in Staten Island, I went and I, I policed in Brooklyn, where I grew up in Bensonhurst, I knew Everyone that I dealt with. I knew the pieces of garbage. I knew the good kids. I knew the kids that got caught up in the drug game. I knew everybody. So I encountered people that I policed my whole career. We would go to the mall. I'd be with my wife and my kids. Guys would come over, groups. Yo, what's up, brother? How's everything? I miss you. My wife would be like, Who's that? You work with those guys? I was like, No, I, I, I locked them up. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> it's like, you
2: know. Tonight,
0: I'm sure you're aware. But I think... And actually, it was generated before you left, but I know you started working more of an administrative role. Do you, are you aware that? So, initially, the try report, when it was developed, it was for the particular person of what type of action they take in, uh, in force with, um, with taking someone in custody. And so, what that means, so for instance, let's say I'm trying to take someone in custody, let's say you and I are trying to take someone in custody, let's say. I grapple his legs and you punch him to the face. So we would document, you would document, you punch him to the face and I would document that I grappled him. Now, at some point, because it's never enough for the police, uh, police department, it's always about documentation and let's get everyone involved in self reporting. They started, they came out with what's called an interaction report. Are you aware of that? It's what the trial report. So the trial report initially was a worksheet. It was on its own system. Yeah, Yeah. But then, right. Then it started. It was part of the system forms where the trial report you would do a report, but then attached to it, you would have to do an interaction report. So that means if you and I took a, a, a perp down and there was eight other cops there, we would have to do an interaction report for each cop. Yes. What did they, how do they interact with that perp? So here we are, we're self-reporting 10 cops and it's necessary for this one perpetrator. And and I would find because of that some of these cops are like, well, but boss, I didn't touch him, I didn't do anything. So because guys knew that if they had some interaction with the perpetrator, that they would be on the try report. So I would find towards the latter part of my career that some of the cops would avoid interactions, exactly that, so that they wouldn't be self-reported. That's scary. It really is.
2: No, I, you
1: know, I, and that's another point, right? Um, because I guarantee if I bring my driver on here. Right. And he was in the same mind frame that I was. He knew we had to resolve that situation. He was a proactive cop. He's still active on the job. He's a sergeant, a great cop. Um, And, uh, you know, he's in a busy command. He's still working. He's still out there. Um, I guarantee if I bring him on, I, I already know that the EMS workers and and the cops that were standing off to the side wouldn't attest to what I was saying. But if you bring him on, and we were in the same mind frame, that this guy has to be brought down right away. He might have a knife. We saw it. We observed all the dangers that were going on. We knew imme- immediately he had to be placed in handcuffs. And he was in a, he was in a drug psychosis. Um, and he potentially still had a butcher knife on him. Um, so we knew it immediately. Uh, but I guarantee if I brought him on here right now, he would tell you a slightly different version of what I just told you. And, and, and so now it comes into question who's telling the truth in the situation right did is he telling the truth or am i telling the truth but guess what the truth is different to all of us in that scene um i mean the only thing that would really tell tell the t- whole tell tale is really is th- there is there is you know it, it would have to be the whole scene would have to be cambered from the get go from prior to my arrival all the way through, for you to make a judgment, all the way till the end, every interview, everything, for you to get the totalitarian, the the whole, the whole big picture of those circumstances, you know, it's and and the body camera still wouldn't capture that either, because again, as I walked up the stairs, I, it was, it really was an eighth of a second. He's he's pointing in the cop's face, saying, uh, if, "What are you gonna do if you fucking touch me? I'm gonna punch you in your face, you fucking cunt." And right then and there, I knew there was no control of the situation. I saw the EMS with the bag in front of him. So now I believe that he still has a knife. I don't know where it is on his person. I don't see it in his hands. And I made that decision instantly to take him down. I see the old people standing in the background. I see the young mother clutching her baby off to the right. Um, and I literally, I closed the distance. I started closing the distance from the minute I left that first there. And he, uh, he noticed me, and I tried to just walk in and just grab him without him even seeing me. I would have took him right from the side, but he caught me as I was walking in. He caught me as I was walking up. He was like, and then he turned right to me. What, 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 the, what the fuck are you going to do? And that's, when, and that's when I closed the gap on him.
2: Um, well,
1: so the body th- camera wouldn't
0: have caught that either. No. I can tell you this. I'm a firm believer, and I will put my money on it. And unfortunately, I can't tell you because we'll never see it. But if you were on that scene today with a brand new police officer who's just graduated from the academy, I am confident that if you would have swept this particular EDP and taken them down before you deployed that strike, you would have had a rookie police officer trying to hold you back. And and, and that's where I think this active bystander law enforcement training is totally getting distorted. Yeah. Because the ideology is that at any point or every point, you have to hold someone back from taking action against a violent perpetrator. And you have to be totally reactive. And what you did was perfect police work. Is completely of being a smart cop and a great leader because you thought about the entire scene. You thought about all your police officers. You thought about the safety of EMS, the family, and that actual person that you had to bring in custody within the eighth of a second. And sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit, and you should give yourself credit because you processed, and you don't even know it. Probably, if you sit and think about it now, you processed a thousand things in your mind, eighth of a second, and made a decision in a split second. Who we know, Chris Bow couldn't make that decision, right? He got <laughs> fooled. He got fooled by some woman because he wanted to get laid. Let's be honest. He thought he was going to get laid, and he got fooled by some woman. And guess what? John McCarry and I wouldn't get fooled because we could see. And we would read the baseline and know when someone's lying to us, and that's the ability of a police officer and a cop. Chris Bell, you don't have that ability. Let me tell you that you really don't.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's crazy. I, it, it really is. It really is that able training. Really, I don't know what the point of it was. It's it, to me, it's like I have a big problem with the um, with the Common Core. I say it dumbs down kids. It makes us less competent and it it finds a million ways to solve a a problem that we could solve in a split second. Um, And, you know, it attempts to teach kids to think around things by using, you know, instead of three plus three is six, we're going to draw three circles and then another three circles and we're going to count them and we're going to do it this way and we're going to do it that way. But then when it comes to actual social issues, they're not telling these kids to think. They're telling them what to think. And I, you know, the ABLE training, I'm really like, I, I as I sat through it, I was really like, what is the goal here? What is the goal? Like, I don't know what the goal is of this. Is, is it to slow us down? Is it to pit? us against each other like i didn't know what the goal of it was you know it really bothered me again at the time it was you know i was really feeling the pressures from covid and i remember i made the statement and you know the kid that was doing the training he he was a cop he worked for me and he was a sergeant at the time and he's like what do you think but he went around the room and i had to give my honest opinion i've been i'm always an honest guy say what i think whether it's stupid or it's not stupid and i said i said i don't believe anybody in this room has moral integrity including myself i said because if i if we did we would have left right after the riots. We would have left right after the riots. And now here we are, here we are, forcing each other to stick something in our bodies that we don't want. So I, I truly believe that if it was walking your mother in the gas chamber or your pension, I, I, a lot of you would make the decision your pension. <laughs> and the room was silent. And, I'm, I, you know, and, I know, and, and that's just the, the reality of it. Like, have, have you guys really thought past what actual moral integrity is, you know, like, will you step up, you know? And I I don't know. I don't believe that moral integrity was me attempting to not place my hands on that individual. I don't believe that's moral integrity. I believe that I don't want to be in that situation,
2: but I'm willing
1: to put myself and my life on the line to, to bring it to a successful conclusion for everybody. And and I have no problem with you critiquing me. My problem with the critiques is, and and it's very, it was very apparent in your article too. You don't know what you want. You don't know what you want, and that's what you asked. And they, and they're trying to make you like a brutalizer by asking that question. And and it's no, it, it's it's a really it's a fair question. What it, it there's only X amount of scenarios. Yes, every scenario will be different, but what do you expect in those scenarios especially as they're calling you names and saying a lot of, a lot of things that you're you know you were substantiated like break down that incident tell the incident where eric dim was wrong but don't just tell me where he was wrong tell me what he should have did right tell me what eric dim should have did you know what i mean and that's we're not doing that because they don't know Because I believe again, I, you know, and, and this is not a knock on the older guys. It's not, you know, I, I know I I got a little backlash recently saying, Oh, you, you know, you got, you said you were the best to ever do it. Your generation. I really do believe that. I mean, I could be wrong. You know, I'm not, I'm not knocking the guys that came before us. They did great work, but overall as a department, we were at the height of the NYPD. Yes, it was brought onto us by the guys that came before us. We stepped into a machine, a machine that was working. We didn't create this ideology. We were a part of it, you know, and we stepped into it. And again, I had it used upon me as a kid and I hated it. And then I became a cop and I was like, oh, shit, this works. I matured. I got older. I was like, yeah, this is right. This is this is, this is actually and I still believe it. I still believe it. Um. Uh, do, do you mind if I, I talk about two other things? I've been getting beat up on social media. <laughs> oh, I,
2: please. Uh, uh,
1: so two things. Uh, one, did you see the video I posted? It's got like 40,000 views already. Um, the video Which I one? posted of what appears to be an NYPD traffic agent taking down oh my God, these other
0: signs. Oh, my God.
1: So – so I just want to, like, based upon my knowledge, I'm curious what your knowledge, and, and for the audience, I did not ask him about this prior. So he doesn't know what I'm going to ask him either. So based upon my knowledge, I know that we do not get involved in political activity as a police department. We were at the polls that day, but we're, anything that really goes on. We're calling the duty captain. We're calling the intelligence bureau. We're calling the election board. We're writing a, a letter to the police commissioner. We're notifying the intelligence bureau. We were not taking any action as far as anything that's alleged for uh, a violation of political activity. So as far as I, I, and that's from my experience. So, and I could be wrong on that. So that's why I want to ask you, Dim. Um, so, and I began beat up a lot. And so, yes, I do believe that These Zeldin signs on public property are not allowed. However, I was never in my career, and I've never seen a cop do it, and I've never been asked to have anyone do it, to go take down political signs. They're all over New York City. They're at the polling sites that we sit at, and we don't enforce that. People are campaigning by the polling sites illegally when they're not supposed to, but we do not enforce that. So we, we don't get involved in it. So to me, when I watched that video, I don't believe that the girl acted on her own. She may have, but I, I know that that is against department policy, unless the police commissioner um, unless the police commissioner came out and said, "Yes, you're going to enforce that," and they've never seen that happen before, because it would give the, it would give the, the perception that we are one-sided right? You're taking down a Lee Zeldin sign. Maybe if you took down all of them, if I was the police commissioner, yes, if I seen signs all and somebody was complaining about it, yeah, no problem. I'll take down everybody's signs now because that's what I would do, right? I would show up to a scene. I'm a, I'll be the police. Hey, you call 911. You put it in my hands. No problem. You guys beat each other up. Good. I'll take you both to jail. I'm not, I'm not determining who it is. Let the judge do it. You know what I mean? Um, so I would, I would act the same way there. What's your experience in enforcing political activity? Um, and I was also told that that was not a traffic agent. Um, so, I, and I don't believe that. But <laughs> um, so I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just curious your opinion on that video and your,
0: based upon your experience. I was actually going to ask you. So the video for me, it came out kind of grainy. And I was watching it. There was, the, the sun was blaring. So I couldn't see the uniform too good. Obviously, I could see the patch. So I couldn't make an assessment if it was a traffic agent or a cop. But I can tell you this. They both fall on the NYPD. So it just doesn't matter. You and I know there is a procedure in the patrol guide that if there is some type of obscene signage or language and I, that I, or something that is considered uh, hateful or undesirable, which that would fall into that category, we would never touch it. And I, when I say never, it's exactly that. We would never touch it. Obviously, this particular cop or traffic agent got marching orders to somewhere which completely violates the patrol guide. But I think at this point, under Mayor Adams, it doesn't matter anymore. It's what fits that p- particular scenario at the time. So if you remember back when it comes to the procedure, so if there was some type of signage on a poll, we would not remove it. You have to call your supervisor, your supervisor responds, and then the supervisor wouldn't remove it either. There's notifications and phone calls that have to be made to OEEO before any decision is made. There is a lot of legwork a lot behind the scenes that would have to go down before that signage is actually pulled in that manner. But I will say, once it's pulled, it would go in a trash can. That's totally against the patrol guide of how we operate. That, I'm, I'm really surprised that I, I saw that. I never thought, thought I would see that in my career or post my career. If you remember back, when it comes to unlawful posting signs, you must call your supervisor, and even the supervisor will not touch it. So that is an, an
1: abomination. Well, I, I see in my opinion, like watching it, I think that it fell under two twelve seventy-two, which is guidelines for uniform members of service conducting investigations into political activities. Like so I think it fell under that. And and all of that, I mean, basically the, the, the end all be all of it, I'm not gonna go through the whole order, but this is the end all be all of it. Date of effect. Effective immediately, no members of service shall engage in investigation of political activity uh, except through the Intelligence Bureau. Requests for investigation should be on a typed letterhead addressed to the commanding officer of the Intelligence Bureau. Where time is in the essence, the request must be made to the criminal intelligence section. I'm not going to give the number for that. Um, in all cases, member of service shall concern shall abide by the direction of the Intelligence Bureau. Such investigations shall be conducted pursuant to the guidelines of the for investigations involving political activity, you know, falling under handshoe law and all that other stuff. I believe that those signs are political activity. And my other thing, and I had a couple of cops actually knock me on this. They said, well, that wasn't an investigation. Those are just signs. I'm like, every thing that you do as a police officer, when the minute you, before you even The minute you get a call, the minute you arrive at a scene, you are investigating. I don't know what you're talking about. If you're not investigating, you're a donkey. When you're walking around, you're waiting for your sergeant to get there to tell you what to do. You're useless. You're not a cop. You're a police officer paid. That's all you are. Like you are conducting an investigation from the moment you get there. So, yes, I believe when we're going to talk about political science, yes, it is unlawful science, but it falls on the political spectrum. I would never get involved in that. I don't believe it looks good. Actually, right now, as we speak, uh, Jason Rance, uh, he's actually he's actually asking me all these things right now. He's pretty big. He's on Tucker Carlson often. He's actually talking about it, too. He's not beating me up. He was just asking. Um, so I've been, I I actually watched them a few times, uh, but I was getting beat up about that. Um, the other thing I was getting beat up about is Laura Kavanaugh, a 40-year-old female, um, worked under the last fire commissioner, Daniel Nigro. Um, <laughs> she has just been appointed as the commissioner of the FDNY.
0: I knew you were going to go into that. She has
1: no experience... Fighting fires, um, and I do believe, I do believe that if you are, if, that there are people that could really fill in any role, I do, I do believe that, I do believe that from a high, a, a top-down level, I do believe that. However, you know, I I critiqued, uh, uh, police commissioner Ki Chan Sewell for being a relative rookie as as in results of the executive rank on this job you know she only had 20 years yes she was a chief in Nassau i believe she was in charge of 300 people and now she's in charge of 50,000 in in a massive department you know i i really believe that the NYPD should be ran from there are very many capable men and women inside of the thing and that's not a knock on her again like i said everything i've heard about her she's a great lady and that's not kissing her ass cuz i'll i'll tell you if i didn't hear it i i truly heard that she's that she's awesome both from nassau and and the NYPD from people both in um but again, like i said I, I, I don't believe she has any power I believe she's just a figurehead um and so now here we have laura kavanaugh she 's not in charge she was never fought a fire. I mean key Chan Sewell was a police officer by all means she's been in these scenes. she could come on here and ramble stories just like we have, and we could break down those scenes and she 's been in there. She was a police officer, so if I'm gonna knock her, I'm you know I'm gonna knock. How the hell are you knowing what policy, what procedures, how they affect the men and the women that are going out into now I don't understand firework, but I believe there's a lot of intricacies in it. I have a lot of friends that are firemen. They talk about they could look at a building and they'll tell me what year the building was built, that the materials it was built from, how fast it will burn, the toxins in each of those things, what to avoid. This is an institutional knowledge. And you're telling me there's people that have been on that job for 30, 40 years that couldn't fill that role. What do you think about that, Dan? Could should that? If you were the mayor, would you possibly ever
0: make an appointment like that? Absolutely not. Now, one thing I always, I know I always say this, but it's the truth. I hold the Marine Corps in high esteem. So I went to Officer Cannon School in the Marines. And then what you learn in the Marine Corps is if you're going to lead or be in charge of a particular unit, you do not have to be a master of that. You, know, you, you legitimately don't. But you do have to have fundamental and a foundational amount of knowledge so that you can actually use your resources How could she utilize her resources and exploit them to the best of her knowledge when she has zero foundation of it? So this is absolutely a farce. It's obviously for show. And here again, Mayor Adams just wants to be infamous. He wants to be the guy with the swagger. He wants to be the man that says, Hey, I appointed the first female police commissioner. And now the first female commissioner for the fire department. Now my cousin is a fireman. uh, And I tell you, I have nothing but respect exactly what you're saying. He does it all the time. He would look at a building and say, Wow, the combustion of this. Listen, if the fire department doesn't respond with the four minutes, the amount of fire, he would always tell me, get rid of those candles. He would never let me have candles, because candles are a big contributory factor to, to fires. But she has to have some fundamental knowledge. She may have leadership experience, she may have the ability to take charge, but she has no fundamental knowledge of a fire. And clearly we know we have that fundamental knowledge of fires look we lost a police officer unfortunately lost his life because of a fire because we don't have fundamental knowledge they've never trained us in anything about fires so where is the training she can lead but we're talking about leading something very specific when we talk we're talking about the lives of citizens of new york city that's how you show that you care about the citizens i think this is a completely it's a travesty it's a total injustice it's a total show, and no, I don't agree with it.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 I I you know I'm getting beat up a lot about it right now, <laughs> but I don't care because I'm gonna hold I'm gonna hold true, and, and and I gave that exact example. I said I critiqued. Key Chan Sewell, who was a cop for 20 years, and I was saying that I believe that she's a rookie. I don't know if I would have made that appointment. I think I would have made that appointment by like somebody with a lot of experience, a lot of executive experience in the NYPD. I do believe there are captains and lieutenants on this job with more experience than Key Chan Sewell. I do. And 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 that's just my opinion. I'm not, it's it's nothing against her. It's not a knock. I could be wrong. She might, she might have that experience, but she doesn't have the institutional knowledge of the NYPD. And that I'm not wrong about. This job takes years and years to learn. I mean, there are units for units for units for units. You know, um, we, we were in charge of all these resources. And, and again, I don't think she can't pick it up. I think 100%. I think at this point, absolutely, she should have been able to pick it up. Um, I just don't think I would have made the appointment
0: right away. Um, so, why, John, let me ask you then: Why do you think, because I have my theories, I love to tell, but why do you think he appointed Key Chan Sewell to the position of police commissioner?
1: I, I, you know, again, I think he's doing diversity hires. I mean, obviously we could see, I think Laura Kavanaugh is a diversity hire or she's a or she's a political hire. She's a she's a Jessica Tisch. She's a family's donating big. I mean, you could look at you could look at Hochul, you could look at Adams, you could look at them. You'll see the Tisch name about fifteen times. We got Jessica Ch- Tisch. She's been a commissioner for everywhere for the police department for do it. Now she's in charge of sanitation. So I don't know if that's the deal with Kavanaugh. Um, for Key Chan Sewell, she is a hundred percent a diversity hire, and I don't I I I. I watched a video, and I don't know if you watched it, and, and it was probably one of the only videos in the police department where I was like, wow, this is shit that we should be doing. It was an executive conference, and uh, they brought the they brought a woman, an Indian woman, who was in charge of Coca-Cola. She ran Coca-Cola for a few years. She was CEO of Coca-Cola for, uh, I think, a decade. Um, I forget her name. Uh, I watched the video about two years ago. But it was as the diversity push is coming in. They're writing things on paper that violate their own OEO law and they're like redacting OEO stuff. And I'm like, wait, what the hell's going on here? So, you know, Indian woman, you know, she ran, uh, she was the CEO of Coca Cola. She speaks at an executive conference for the NYPD. And she comes up and she talks about her experience of very, talks about leadership, talks about all these different things. And of course, in the middle of it, Uh, Somebody from the deputy commissioner of equity inclusion or whatever the hell it's called now raises their hand and they said, how do you, what, what do you believe is the right path for diversity? And the woman says something that I always said, she says, I believe in hiring the best men and women that I can find. And by doing that, my company will be diverse. And, and and you know, it goes back. I don't, and and I'm not saying that that key chance too is not competent. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know her personally. I never worked with her. From all means, I hear that she's very competent. So I'm not making that, but I would never put diversity high on anything. I believe in competence. Competence above all. And I believe that holds true. And you could look at the anti-crime teams, right? Because, how diverse were they? It oh wasn't just a bunch of white dudes. You know what I mean? Like it's not. You got you, you got Dominican guys. You got black guys. You got Italian kids. You got Irish kids. You got all, all over the spectrum, Russian kids, Polish kids, you know, all over the spectrum of who becomes an effective anti-crime officer. Um, and, and that's based upon confidence. We're not on confidence. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, you know what? We don't got any girls on this team. Let's just put someone who's an idiot on this team. And I do believe that I want girls on the team for searches. I always wanted a girl that I could rely on to search females in areas that I don't want to search out on the street. Not, not saying I won't pat you where you could have to, to be safe. I would. But I to, to to bring down the perception of it, I would always like to have a girl to do searches on females. You know, and... But I won't put someone in there just because they check a box. And I'm worried about that. You know what I mean? Because I'm not going to risk safety. And I I don't care. I don't care. If you're flying the plane, if you're flying a plane, I'm flying in. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what you believe. I don't care who you sleep with at night. I don't care any of these things. What are you doing brain surgery on me i don't care and the nypd is checking boxes and the city of new york's checking boxes and i don't believe it's the right thing to do
0: well my theory is this so there are plenty of women in the new york city police department right now that could have fit that role as the police commissioner to the knowledge that they have and that would also fill the role of diversity but I think for Mayor Adams, and for him, it was actually extremely intelligent tactic because here he fit the role for adversity. He hired a female black police commissioner, which fills several different adversarial types of diversity. But now, and he also has someone with a police background, right? But he hired an outsider, and I don't mean to insult her by saying outsider, but someone that did not serve in the New York City Police Department. So here she's coming in com- from what I hear, completely knowledgeable, confident, you know, but she still has a disadvantage, disadvantage, and a learning curve that she it's going to take her time to learn the culture and really the inner linings of the New York City Police Department. So she's going to ask less questions than than an insider and be less combative. And she's going to be comfortable in her role as sitting back. While Mayor Adams takes the helm, and he has the opportunity to place the police commissioner, because she still has to work this time out to learn the inner linings of the job. So by the time that she learns the inner linings of the job, Mayor Adams may be onto his next election, or maybe he be onto his next role. So I think, from his standpoint, it was a smart tactic. I have nothing bad to say about her. I don't know her well, but I think that was completely done strategically and on purpose.
1: But I would also like to see him step away from the police department and just let her do the job and make her the police commissioner, you know, uh, you know, like put everything on her leave it alone When the media has questions i'm going to i'm going to refer to the police commissioner on that to answer you know um, let her run the department i would like to see that you know i like i said i, I you know i'm not, i'm not sitting here trying to knock i don't think i would have made the appointment but he did and let her, let her run the job let's see what she's got like you know i i don't know i know what eric adams got and I, and, and by all means she's completely unqualified to be the police commissioner completely like, I would never, you know, and, and, and it amazes me, it amazes me that all the guys that tried to fire him are now working for him or are supporters of him. It's like, it's insane. I'm like, where is the integrity? Where is it? And I'm not saying we can't get along. I'm not saying because we disagree in the past, we can't move forward past that. But not only did we disagree in the past, you're... Going against your own ideology. You're going against the things you see at the dinner table. You're going against the things you say to the men and women in the street. You're going to the, against the things you say to the men and the women in the police department. You're a liar. You're a phony. You know, I'm sorry. I can't. I could work for you if we have slight differences. These aren't slight differences. These are huge, huge differences. And, and yeah, but he's got swagger.
2: he got, got
0: swagger, swagger, dude. He's got Come swagger. On. Cool,
1: he's dude. Got, he's got swagger. So yeah, no, I mean I you know, that's it. I th- I think we got it, right? We got a, We went over able training, went a little bit on the matrix. Anything else you got today?
0: No, I think that's good. I think that's good. I like it.
1: All right, good. So, you know, I just want to give another shout out to those big burly men. Used to yeah. jump out on on everybody in the cars, the jump out boys. Here's the boys. Um, and you know, I still love that article. We did uh the podcast on uh on about that article, I, I definitely want to listen to it. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, um, but uh, that's uh, that that was it. That was that was an interesting article, man. It really was. Um, and you know, we're trying to bring some people on here, we're trying to get uh, Black Lives Matter to come on. Um, they seem pretty interested into it, into coming on. Um, and we're gonna get a, a bunch of, and we're gonna hear perspectives from everybody. You know, anybody, anybody retired out there, I'd love to have you on. Any active guys. Um, I really don't want you to come on. You could come on if you got a big following or even if you don't have a big following, but we could use your Twitter handle or whatever you, you got on social media, but I'd rather you not, um, I don't want to put anybody in a bad spot, but you know, if you guys, you know, all you guys, I know you're texting dim. I get information from guys all day long. So, you know, keep it up. I appreciate you guys tuning in. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just stuff that needs to be said. It really does. We gotta, we gotta change the game.
0: Yeah, please, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and not just police officers, to all my people out there in the public, 265 Police Live Series, we are the experts. We want you to listen to us. Just have an open mind. This is an opportunity for you to listen to police work in a manner you never heard before. This is the truth. From boots on the ground, we're not sitting here. We're not giving you a particular angle. This is just totally off the cuff where we have an opportunity to evaluate different police-related events, different articles about current events, what's related to right now, and for you to have an open mind and to actually hear the truth. I always say this is a thousand ways to tell a lie and one way to tell you the truth. We are going to give you the truth. And listen, like I said, for my police officers, for my cops out there, we don't want you to come on right now. I want to protect you. I don't want you getting hurt by the job. But I tell you what, we can be your voice. You can text John McCarrie, you can text myself, reach us out by email on Twitter. If you want something to a topic to be brought up about, something spoken about, something that's related to you. We're here for you. We're here to stand up for you. We're here to fight for you. We're here to protect you. This is an opportunity for your voice to be heard vicariously through John and I. So please take that opportunity. Feel free. I'm always available to you. And guys, thank you for watching us and listen to us. We're gonna keep this going and we're here for you. And uh, Honestly, having a great time doing it.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you, Eric. Yeah. Uh, one thing I just want to end on because I I just I've been getting hundreds of calls and I'm sorry. I try to get back to you guys as soon as I can. I get a ton of messages on Instagram and Twitter. I just want to go over one thing. Um, if you're having a problem, if right now you have a denial letter that stands, your exemptions were st- were denied. If right now you're having that. Um, I really recommend you either contact Christina Martinez, you contact the Aaron Siri firm, you contact Jimmy Wagner, uh, or you contact Jim Ammergus. And I really do think you should file for an Article 78. You only have a four-month window. And what an Article 78 does is overturn it's an appeal on the final appeal of the decision for the city, because we clearly see that they're They follow none of the law and they follow no procedure and the city, every time they go to court or they've been asked, they can't articulate why they denied your religious beliefs because they can't, they violated the law. So these decisions have been winning. They have been losing some, if depending on the ideology of the judges, but the majority of judges have been granting these Article 78s. Um, I don't believe you need to file a TRO, which is a temporary restraining order from them to... Stop enforcement of that right now, but I would have that drawn up and ready to go should this decision get appealed Um So, so right now the job saying they're not going to fire you. Um, I spoke to numerous people yesterday about it, but do me a favor, get that in writing. Get that in writing. I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. This is John McCari speaking to you from my heart. Uh, this is not, you know, part of the show. This is just based on I've been the voice out there for a while on this. I've been in contact with all of these lawyers. Um so, so if you have that denial, do that. Get your temporary restraint in order, contact those women for the men and women like myself who vested. Um, or retired early because you were denied you were legally denied whatever it was you're medical you're religious i still haven't found any lawyers that are willing to that are willing to pursue a case for the medical aspect of it like my myself i submitted i have natural immunity i have more antibodies than people with shots and they, the job wouldn't accept that um, so i haven't found a lawyer that's willing to dive deep dive into that if anyone does i would appreciate the help i'm only one person i i, I do a lot of other things just to support my family besides this. Um, and this doesn't even help me support my family. I'm just doing this as, you know, I told Eric and I I, I believe I spoke on it before. This is my therapy. Uh, it avoids my wife from wanting to kill me from talking about all this stuff and ranting. Um, so, you know, please help me out if you could. If you get any information, please send it to me. Anything you could do to help. You know, this is all, I'm doing this to right a, a huge wrong. I'm doing this to make this, Never happened to anybody again. I don't even care what happens to me at this point. I am trying to sue, though, to get you guys that information to see how you could go about. Uh, yes, I do believe you have a lawsuit. You were legally discriminated against. You were forced to leave your career. You had an ultimatum given to you. It was leave your career, be fired, or take a shot. Uh, leaving your career, you didn't voluntarily quit like Mayor Adams says. That is a lie. He's an incompetent person. He's an awful person. Again, I believe these are crimes against humanity that he's going to have to answer for at some point. And I believe a lot of people are going to have to answer for it. And whenever I see anybody that wants to sell it to me, they never do. They don't even look me in my face. They can't even look me in my face. So right then and there, it's a It's it's, you know, integrity's question. So, yes, there's that aspect of it. Do you do have a lawsuit? Please ask around with these attorneys. I know the people I just named are swamped with the Article 78 filings um, and and determinations. They're working on those now. So they're really not pursuing people who vested or retired at this point. I do believe that will open up as things open up. And for the last set of people that took the shot that after they would deny their religious exemptions. Yes. I do believe you have a case too. I don't know where to tell you to go for that though. So I appreciate it. Eric appreciate you giving me the time and uh, yeah. Thanks guys.
2: Thank you guys. See you soon.